Good morning all, good to see you. Be turning in your Bible's book of Matthew, chapter 15. We'll be there and uh, starting there just uh, in a few moments. I heard that the uh, park service went great last week and that uh, Jacob did a great job in leading it. Sorry uh, I was out of town, but uh, anyway, we uh, were moving my mother from uh, western Kentucky to uh, northwestern Illinois uh, to an assisted living uh, situation. She's lived in the same house for about 10 years and uh, every closet and every drawer were full uh, of something and uh, something important, uh, it, it, at least uh, at one time anyway. Uh, at one moment we were sitting uh, at the, the table and uh, she looked out the, the window there and my uh, cousin was having a uh, yard sale and so a lot of the things we were you know, going to give to the yard sale and she looked out and she said, who put that pot out there? And I said, well, I did. Well, I wanted that pot. I said, okay, Mom, I'll go get it. Uh, so, anyway, you know, just uh, a little bit of exasperation of trying to deal with all that. Uh, before I get into my sermon, I have to tell you, I did learn a little bit more about uh, family and extended family names while I was down there. So, I know for some of you this will be uh, very interesting, but... Uh, my uh, cousin Squirrel, uh, his real name is uh, Kenneth, but everyone calls him Squirrel. Uh, his wife, Betty, uh, her dad and uh, uh, her uh, uncle were twins. And uh, uh, their nicknames, you've you got, you got to get this now, their nicknames were Fat and Lit. Uh, <laughs> fat and Lit. And... Uh, she was actually embarrassed about that because she was about nine or ten years old and someone came to the door asking for uh, her father by his real name and she didn't know who it was. She only knew her dad as fat. Uh, so uh, anyway, and then in addition to that, uh, one of the farmers that, that, that Squirrel Farms with, uh, I found out, is a guy named Lightbulb. And... Uh, <laughs> And there's actually a reason for that. They, they were shooting baskets in a, a gym that had a little bit of a lower ceiling, and he kept knocking out the light bulb. Uh, and so they uh, they nicknamed him Light Bulb. And uh, I asked my mother. I said, I, she, I said, Mom, really? Does everyone call him Light Bulb? And she says, Really? Everyone calls him Light Bulb. So anyway, fat lit and Light Bulb. You can add that uh, to the names. The, the names, yeah, uh, possible names for your children uh, in, in years to come. Uh, some wonderful choices right there. Uh, so anyway, okay, we're we're going to continue our series uh, that we've been going through the last several weeks on distraction and things that can be distracting uh, to our Christian life and to our walk with the Lord. And today's uh, title is the peril of being religious. The peril of being religious. And we're going to be looking at a number of scriptures here. So get your Bibles out, get them warmed up, loosened up. And we're going to study the Bible together. Matthew 15 and verse 1. Then some Pharisees, and the Pharisees were religious people, teachers of the law, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that a man says to his father and mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me as a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. 
These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. These are religious people right here. But Jesus has very, very strong words for them. You hypocrites. You actually avoid the Word of God to keep up with all their traditions or things that may be going on uh, in their lives that they thought was important. He says, and, and it's even gone to the, to the point where you don't obey some of the laws that are very important, like taking care of your parents in their older years by your tradition. You know, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story told by the writers about the life of Jesus, he has more conflict with religious people than any other narrative that's going on in the story of Jesus. He is constantly bumping up against the religious people, trying to help them understand where they were at. Now, if you're here today for church, I'm going to make an assumption that you are at least somewhat interested in the idea of being religious. Because I don't think you decided to just walk into Gabrielino High School. Oh my. For second period. They had traditions going on. What are some religious traditions in our world today? Anybody? What are religious traditions that, that might be going on in people's lives? Yes, ma'am. Fasting on Friday. Fasting on Friday. Yeah. Christmas. Christmas. Yes. The sign of the cross. Okay, making the sign of the cross. Yes. Holy water. Holy water. Yes. Going to church on Sunday. Any other traditions that any of you can think of? Yes. I'm sorry. Okay, reading your Bible or maybe carrying your Bible with you. And, and we could go on and on and on with different kind of religious traditions that may or may not be going on in people's lives. It's not actually a bad thing to have a tradition or a habit of doing something like that going off all the time. Let's just try to ignore it, okay? But Jesus says here, you're religious and your traditions have become so much a part of your life that you've actually forgotten the more important things that you should be taking care of in your life. I'm going to look at a couple more examples of these bumping up against the religious people. Look over to Matthew chapter 9. Jesus just sort of runs into these guys and situations seem to happen all the time. Matthew 9 and verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, He told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and, quote, sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. Now, I think it's interesting. They didn't ask him. They asked the disciples. Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and, quote, sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, Jesus answered before they could mess up the wrong answer, you know, with the wrong answer. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But I, not, I, but I have not come to call righteous the righteous, but sinners. So here they seem to be concerned that he's eating with the wrong people. He's hanging out with the wrong people. He's having friendships with the wrong people. 
Jesus says you're really off. You're really missing it. Why don't you figure out what this Old Testament passage means? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Look over to Matthew 12, verse 9. Going on from that place, he went to the synagogue, the man with the, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Now that's interesting. They're looking for a reason to accuse him, to catch him. They asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored. Just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they may kill Jesus. So these religious people, but they've got a lot going on in their life, don't they? They are so upset with what Jesus has said to them here and how He's challenged them on where they're at in their life that they begin to try to figure out how to kill Him. We've got to get rid of this guy. He is a constant annoyance. He is a constant pain in the neck to us in our understanding of how to live a religious life. Bitter, angry, to the point of wanting to kill it. Look over to Mark 12. Book of Mark chapter 12. There's a story after story of Jesus running into these guys and having conflict. And they're the religious people. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Now look at this religious guy's answer back to Jesus. This is fascinating. Well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that He had answered wisely, He said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. And then no one else dared ask Him any more questions. Jesus says this guy, you're not far from the kingdom. You understand some things here, but you're not doing them. Being religious can get you into a lot of trouble. Because it doesn't necessarily really solve the problems of what may be going on in your life. That true religion, we're going to talk about true religion next, but what it really means To be a follower of God. But just being a religious person and being a religious person in your classroom or being a religious person on your neighborhood or being a religious person at at the office or where you work doesn't necessarily mean that your life is anywhere where it needs to be in following Jesus. As a matter of fact, these guys were religious and they wanted to kill Jesus. You can be religious and have all kinds of things going on in your life. 
that are wrong and that you shouldn't have in your life. You can have religion, but you can have a life that doesn't live up at all to the religion that you profess. And Jesus confronts this constantly as He's in His ministry with these religious people of His day. Being religious can be a distraction to really being a man or a woman of God. There's nothing noble about being religious if it's just an act. There's nothing proper about being religious if it's not really who you are. If you're one way at church in another way outside of the church environment. There's empty religion. And that's what this is. This is empty religion. It's religion. They were committed to it. They were stringent about it. But at the end of the day, it was empty. Anyone who's religious has to take a good look at themselves sometimes and they have to ask themselves, honestly, am I living a true life? Or am I just a religious person? Have I just become a religious person? Many of us, before we became Christians, would have never thought of becoming a Christian because we knew people who said they were and we knew what was really going on in their life. And we're like, man, I don't ever want to be like that! We have to ask ourselves soberly every once in a while, have we become that? Empty religion. Having habits that are religious, but not really having the heart behind it, is not what Jesus came to bring. Now let's pivot and let's talk about true religion. And we're going to look at four different passages of Scripture here of where the Bible says, this is what God wants of us. You know, for a lot of people, they're like, well, what does God want? We're going to answer your question right here. You're going, to be, you're going to have four things. Now, there are more than four things that God wants in our lives. But these four things are very foundational of what really is God looking for in our life. Look over to Matthew 9, the passage you looked at earlier. And we're going to look at that again. Because he, he makes this comment about uh, wanting mercy. Matthew 9. You guys there? Okay. I actually see Bibles moving down on the front row. Appreciate that. That's good. In verse 12, he says, On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the health you need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. Hey, I'm going to tell you something here deep, he says. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, to the Jewish mind of that time, the sacrifice of the animals, that was fantastic. That was true religion. That was the big thing. I'm bringing in my sacrifice. This proves who I am. And he's quoting this passage from the book of Hosea saying, that really what God wants, what I really want is I want mercy, not sacrifice. Be merciful. What does it mean to be merciful to somebody? What does that mean, Barbara? Not to hold against 
Exactly. Good definition. Not holding people up for things that they actually did. Now, has someone ever done something to you that you thought was wrong? <laughs> sure, all of us have had somebody do something to us that we thought, hey, that's not right. I, I, I wasn't treated right by that person, right? We've all, we've all, we all have that feeling, right? Yeah. And when you have that feeling, what do you want to do? Revenge. <laughs> you want revenge. You want to be able to, to, to pay them back, right? Hey, you treat me this way, I'm going to treat you that way, right? Can we sort of go a little bit of a, you know, an eye for an eye, you know, kind of a, a, an idea that you treat me wrong, I'm going to I'm going to treat you wrong right back, okay? And there's a whole other discussion we could have about that, about whether you know you should always be pushed around in life, but we're not really going to go there. But mercy, is it easy for most of us to be merciful? <laughs> Maybe for some of us, really good-hearted people out there. I can tell you, for me, that is not my natural way. My natural way is, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You you treat me that way, I'm going to treat you that way. I'll never forget when I was in high school, I was at this wrestling tournament. It was an important tournament, and uh, I think it was the semifinals. And uh, the match started, and uh, in wrestling, you can can reach out and you can tap a guy uh, on the forehead. Okay? And, and that's okay. But, you know, you don't slug somebody. And, uh, uh, and so, you know, we, we started and, and, man, bam! This hits me. I thought, okay, I'm not, not, not going to react. I, you know, pull back. Okay, come on in. Bam! I mean to tell you, it, I didn't even think. I, bam! I hit him. <laughs> Referee grabs us both. And, and, and I, I, I could have been gone. I mean, he, he, he could have thrown me out right there. But that was just my reaction. Okay, I'll, I'll let you do that once. You do another gun, I'm at you. That kind of a thing. And I don't think I'm the only guy in the room. Okay? I think a lot of us are that way. But what does God want of us? Mercy, not sacrifice. He wants us to actually treat people in a gracious, merciful way. Now, the truth of the matter is, most of us like to be treated mercifully. Right? You know, you really earned a C on, 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 the, on the paper and the, and the teacher gives you a B. <laughs> hey, life is good. We want to be treated mercifully, but it's hard for us to be merciful. Look in your Old Testament to the book of Micah. <laughs> oh, they're, they're panicking now. Where's Micah? That's not one of the big ones. If you do it on your phone, that's just cheating. You don't even know the books of the Bible. <laughs> Guilty as charged. I appreciate Larry's honesty right there. Okay, Micah 6. You in Micah? Micah 6, verse 6. This is true religion. True religion is to be merciful to people around us. That's what we looked at, number one, right? Number two here, Micah 6, verse 6. 
With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? I mean, Micah is just saying, okay, what, 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 do I, what does God really want? What can I really do? What can I bring to God? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? He's exaggerating, isn't he? Most people can't bring thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is true religion. It's hard to misunderstand this. Someone said you have to be a theologian not to understand this. This is really easy. What does God want of you? What does God want of me? What kind of person should you be? Should you be striving to be? A person who acts justly and loves mercy to walk humbly with your God. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you and Him to walk together in life. And because you're walking with Him... It has an impact on how you treat people around you. What would your neighborhood, your place of work, the place where you go to school, be like if people actually lived like this? It'd be a different workplace, wouldn't it? It'd be a different neighborhood. We live in a fallen world. Even if a Christian or a child of God is trying to live like this, the people around us aren't. And it's extremely easy for those who want to do good to be drawn right back into what they were trying to get out of in becoming a child of God. But what does God want? God wants us to have high ideals. And He wants us to be able, to the best of our ability, to live by those principles. Look in the New Testament to the book of James. The other passage here that that is extremely clear. What does God want of you? What is good religion? James chapter 1. What does God want? What does He want to look and see in you? James 1, verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now get this, verse 20. For man's anger or your anger, female, male, we're not, you know, not just, just this is written just to the men. Yeah, yeah, men need to work on that. Yeah. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. God doesn't want you to be an angry person. You ever met someone that's angry? They're just perpetually angry. They're easy to anger. I mean, any, and, and you know, someone like that, if you're around them, you're just on pins and needles. You're afraid anything that whatever will set them off. God doesn't want you to be that way. Now, if we had a show of hands here, how many people in this room can have a problem with anger? I bet, no, I'm not asking for a show of hands. <laughs> Because I certainly would have to raise my hand. But at the end of the day here, this passage once again is very clear. What what does God want? Man's anger 
Being an angry person isn't what the Lord wants of us. Well, come on down to verse 26. We have another very clear thing here. What God wants of people. If anyone considers himself religious, oh my, here we go. And yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue. He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. If anyone does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. I got to tell you, when I read that, that is convicting. Because I speak for a living. (laughs) It is very easy to say things that you know you shouldn't say. A lot of things, you know, not just swearing, gossip, slander, talk behind people's back, those kind of things, things coming out of your mouth, things that are not helpful. Sometimes we just need to ask ourselves, you know, uh, it's not an issue, is it true or not, is is it helpful or not? You know, there's a lot of observations that are true that aren't helpful. It's not a matter of whether it's not true. It's just a matter of, is, is it helpful? Well, I, it's true. Well, good. You just destroyed someone's day by, by saying something to them that, that you think is true. Just because it's true isn't really the, the barometer. Sometimes the, the barometer is more, is it helpful? If it's not helpful, maybe what you just need to do is say nothing. You know, sometimes uh, you know, the Bible can be exceptionally blunt. In the Proverbs, it says, avoid a person who talks too much. You know, if, if, if your friends talk to you about other people, you better bet that when they're talking to the other person, who are they talking about? They're talking about you. You've got to keep a tight rein on your tongue. When I read this, I'm convicted. Because I know that I can say things that aren't right. I can get angry. And in anger, say things that are not right. Let's go on. Verse 27. Religion. Here we are, man. He's just pounding it, isn't he? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. True religion is to help people that really are desperate for help. Orphans and widows. Why, 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 would, you just, why would you narrow down mankind to orphans and widows? Because they, they uh, represent people that need. People that are alone. People that are lonely. People that are desperate. You know, the truth of the matter is that moving my mother, my, my mother is, is in good shape. She still gets 50% of the, the retirement package that my dad had uh, of, of being a, uh, an administrator in the school district in the uh, state of Illinois. She still gets that. She gets uh, her uh, uh, Social Security. Of course, she didn't very much because she didn't work all that much. I think it's $125 a month. She couldn't obviously live on that. 
But you know, you, you, you put that together and the house that, you know, she just moved out of, she sold that. Uh, and uh, I don't, I actually haven't sold it yet, but it's being sold. And, and so she actually has enough money to live on, if you know what I'm saying. There are a lot of people that get to the age of life, of, in their uh, later years of life, their senior years, and their, their 70s or 80s, and older than me, of course. Uh, and <laughs> they don't have much. Why is it important to have a heart that cares for the orphan and the widow? It's not just saying they're the only people you should care for, but it's representative of people that don't have probably what you have. I gotta tell you, sometimes in my life, it's challenging to love those that I know I should love. I'm sure none of you can ever relate with that. But he says true religion is to take care of the orphan and the widow. To take care of those who are in need. Now, this, these two James passages, they're convicting about what we need to be. And probably, if you're honest with yourself, you realize, you know, I think I've probably sinned here. I think I probably haven't done that. Well, and that leads us to our next thing of what does God want? Look over to Psalm 51. You know, the reality of all of our lives is that we sin and fall short of the glory of God. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you quit sinning, right? You still have sin in your life. You still do things that are wrong that you know you shouldn't do. Even if you're a fine Christian, you still have sin in your life. I have sin in my life. And, and what do we do? How, how do we respond and react when that happens, when we become aware of that? When Psalm 51, David has been confronted about sin in his life, and this is, is his prayer. This is what he's uh, uh, trying to get back with God. In verse 10, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. His prayer to God is, God, I know you've got to get this in me. I can't muscle up enough to get it. Having a pure heart is not something that you put your head down and grit your teeth and say, I'm going to be pure hearted. <laughs> you can't get enough oomph in yourself. And so you have to humbly go to God. God created me a pure heart. Give me what I can't. Get myself to be and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast your, uh, your, your, from your from your presence or take your holy spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Look at it. He says two different times. Look at that. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David knows he can't do this. Unless God works in His life. God, give me what I can't will myself to do. He humbles Himself before God. He comes on down. In verse 16, He says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. David was rich. He could have brought a thousand rams. But what does he say to God in his prayer? He says, God, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a contrite, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not 
despise. What does God want from you and me? He wants us to be humble. He wants us to admit that we can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You know, some of us, we, we think we're pretty strong. We think we're pretty smart. We think we're pretty capable. We think we can fix our own life. We think we can fix our own problems. We think we can will ourselves into whatever we need to be or do to be pleasing to God and be pleasing uh, uh, to, to Him in how we live our life. And David says, I can't do this. I need you to sustain me. I need you to work in my life. Many, many people never really get to the place spiritually where they need to be and want to be because they're just prideful. They do not want to admit to anybody or any being that I need you. You need to ask yourself, is that a description of you? Is that the person that God wants you to be? Is that who you are? Who you've been? And for many of us, that might have been the very reason that we became a Christian. Is that we realized, man, I didn't, I didn't even know it before I started studying the Bible, but I am prideful. I'm selfish. I think I can get it done by myself without anybody or God alone. And the breaking point was you realize, you know, I'm not just a little selfish. I am, I am a dog selfish. I mean, I'm God selfish. I'm not just a little prideful. I'm an arrogant person. And and you 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 have that moment, that clarity. You 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 see the ref, the reflection in the mirror, and you're like, oh, ugh. That is not what I want to look like. That's not the person I want to be. And you realize, well, in essence, this is what God wants all of us to be. He wants us to be humble. He wants us to be merciful with people around us. He wants us to do our best to keep a control on the the thing in our, our life that can probably be the most hateful to other people around us, and that's our mouth. You see, there's, there's, there's false religion, there's empty religion, but there's also true religion. Guys, this is really easy to figure out. This is not complicated. What does God want of you? He wants you to be merciful with people around you. That's true religion. He wants you to act justly and to love people around you. He wants you to walk with Him. He wants you to try your dead level best to stop being the person you were. Before you became a Christian and saying things that's harmful to people. And He wants you to be humble. So we've looked at empty religion. We've looked at true religion. I want us to finish with this, this thought. What about lifetime religion? Lifetime religion. Look over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Lifetime religion. You know, when you become a Christian... Your intention is, I'm going to be a Christian the rest of my life, right? And what you find out along the way is that being a Christian is tough. 
Because you go through things and experience things in your Christian life that you probably would have never imagined going through. That your life would have taken you down that path. And you're like, wow, this is harder than I thought. Have you ever had that thought in your life? I didn't think it was going to be this hard to, to be a faithful child of God. I thought it was going to be easy. I thought I was going to slide through. I'm surrounded by all these great people and they're going to help me. And I've got a great minister. He's going to help me. I'm talking about the ministry you had before me. I'm not talking about me. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and I, I, I married a great man. I married a great woman. Uh, you know, it, this is just, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make it. I'm in a great church. You know, sometimes we say, man, the church is great. That's within the first month of being baptized. Usually you reevaluate that after a while. Uh, <laughs> Because you realize that the Christians are, are sinful, and you're like, "Oh my, I couldn't believe that." Uh, and that, that's a that's a big wake up moment, uh, aha moment for a lot of us, uh, you know, and all that kind of thing. But you know what? You go through things you wouldn't have thought you, you're going to go through. How do you have lifetime religion? When Hebrews 12, this is how you have lifetime religion. In verse one, he says, "Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses." Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Basically, there he says, try, try to get things out of your way that are being harmful, uh, and, and, and try to persevere. Persevere just means being gritty, okay? Being tough. Try, try to be tough. Try to persevere. But here, here's where he really gets this thing going. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Jesus went through hard times. How did He get through it? He endured the cross. Sometimes life is enduring. You know what I'm saying? You, you can talk about the victorious Christian life all you want. Sometimes the Christian life is victorious and you feel like you can walk on air. Sometimes the Christian life is a dead out, slug it out, uh, and, and you, your nose is bloodied. And you're hanging on. But Jesus, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him. Think about this. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know how you make lifetime religion? You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Who is the author and perfecter of your faith. He is the ultimate role model of what you want to be. Every man, woman, child that ever has been, ever will be a Christian needs to have Jesus as their role model. If people are your role model, I will promise you, you are going to be disappointed. If I'm your role model, you're going to be disappointed. Because I am never going to live up to the standard that Jesus would live up to in your life. You don't need me as a role model. Now hopefully I live a life... That, that can be a model, but not the ultimate role model in your life. Yeah. You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. You've got to consider Him who endured such opposition. Lifetime religion is not based upon being around good Christians. Lifetime religion is not being in a church that's a good church. Lifetime religion is keeping your eyes fixed on the prize. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. And considering Him. Any child of God, it should roll off your lips easily. I want to be more like Jesus. 
I want to be a Jesus to my family. I want to be a Jesus in my place of work. I want to be a Jesus in the school that I attend. I want to be a Jesus in the circumstances that I find myself in in life. I want people to see something in me. They may not recognize it as Jesus, but they're going to recognize it's different than what they see in most people. They're like, wow, that guy's different. I'm not sure what's wrong with him, but he's different. And then somewhere along the line, they figure out, well, really, what's going on? He's a Christian. He's a real Christian. He's not just going to church. This is a real Christian. And for most people, they've never seen one before. Whoa. That's 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 a radical out there. I know a lot of people go to church. I've never known anybody like you. That's because lifetime religion is about keeping your eyes on Jesus. Distractions. Being religious can be a distraction. I want to urge you, don't, don't, don't fall into empty religion, guys. It's not about rules. It's not about the Pharisee kind of stuff. That's empty religion. Don't go there. If you find yourself going there, you just got to say, hey, 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 got, got to pull up. I, 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 that's not the direction I want to go. True religion is not complicated. Don't say, well, I don't get it. You know, this is not, what's it, organic chemistry? (laughs) Chris is taking organic chemistry right now for her master's degree. And and I understand it's pretty hard. I never took organic chemistry. (laughs) I I know that's a real shocker for a lot of you guys. True religion is not an academic experience. True religion is really easy to understand. It's incredibly difficult to do. But it's not hard to understand. But lifetime religion is not, not about looking at people. People are important. But lifetime religion, you want to make it till you die? You want to be Christian till you die? You're going to have to keep your eyes fixed. On Jesus. Hopefully, our study today was a good study for you. Have a great week. And by the way, uh, next week is Father's Day, and uh, going to have Rob Cosberg preach next week. So I know Rob will do a great job. You guys have a great week. You're dismissed. <laughs>